The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the 16th chapter. Jesus said, But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, Where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. What is, what is the worst sin? I asked that question of some college students in a Bible study once, and they didn't even have to think about it. They had some instinctive answers. Right away, they said, the worst sins are murder and abuse. They all agreed. Those are the worst sins. They're the worst, we tend to think, because we can see the terrible results. If you steal something, you can give it back. If you tell a lie, you can apologize and tell the truth. But if you murder someone, there's no undoing it. That person is never coming back. If you abuse someone, there's no taking back what you've done. Those sins leave a mark on their victims that never goes away. It's easy to see why we think they're the worst from the perspective of the victim, but also the perspective of the murderer or abuser shows how bad they are. It doesn't matter how remorseful you are, the fact that you can't undo what you've done leads to heaps of guilt. It does not go away on its own, nor can you make it go away. The truth is, however, that there are many other sins in this same category, sins that leave a permanent mark both on the victim and on the perpetrator. Murder and abuse may be the most obvious ones, the ones that come to mind first of all, but there are other crimes as well that do terrible damage that cannot be undone. Betrayal, slander, adultery. In fact, any sin leaves a mark. No sin really can be undone. If you return what you've stolen, that's good, but you can't mend the broken trust. You're a thief now. Things can't go back to the way they were before. If you're selfish or disrespectful to your parents or short-tempered with your spouse, it may seem trivial, like 
the kind of thing that everyone is guilty of now and again. It may seem like nothing, like it could just be water that passes under the bridge, but in fact, it leaves a mark. Somebody's always keeping score, and you can't unsay what you've said or go back in time and be selfless instead of selfish. Now, people are pretty good at overlooking their own faults, at explaining away their sin, and not thinking about how much damage they've done. If we knew, actually, it would destroy us. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? That's what the psalmist says. You know my folly. The wrongs I have done are not hidden from you. Our sins are known to God, even though not all of them are known to us. Who can recognize his own errors? That's what David asks. Who knows all of his sins? Think of that feeling of guilt that you can't shake when you know you've done something wrong, when you know the damage you've done, when you know how it can't be undone. Day and night your hand was heavy upon me. That's how David felt when he wrote the psalm. I kept, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. Think of that feeling and imagine that you could see before you, maybe not just even you, but everyone could see before you every sin you've committed, all the people you've hurt, all the damage you've done, it would be far too much. Sin is terrible. And that is why the coming of the Holy Spirit is such a big deal. Jesus said, It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go away, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Now, he doesn't sound like much of a helper, does he? Here we are in this world heaping up for ourselves sin upon sin, and we know it, we feel it, and we can't escape from it. And Jesus promises to send the Holy Spirit to do what? To convict the world of sin. That's the last thing we want. To have our sins before our eyes, to hear the guilty verdict to feel the weight of our wrongdoing? But did you notice Jesus went on to explain a bit more? The Holy Spirit would come into the world to convict the world concerning sin. Why? Because they have not believed in Jesus. He's not coming into the world to convict the world concerning murder or abuse, or theft, or betrayal, or slander, or adultery, or selfishness, or disrespect, or short-temperedness. He's not coming to convict the world concerning any of the sins that we think are great or small. The only sin concerning which he convicts the world is unbelief. That means we have to rethink everything. The worst sin is not murder or abuse it's not something that has dreadful consequences that we can see. Not something that everyone agrees is terrible. The worst sin is unbelief. Jesus said, all sins will be forgiven the children of man, and whatever blasphemies they utter. All sins. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. All sins will be forgiven. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? That's what the psalmist said. And then he went on. But with you, there is forgiveness, so that you may be feared. 
Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Who can discern his errors? David asked. And then he prayed, declare me innocent from hidden faults. He prayed confidently knowing that God would do it. He was confident because he knew of the coming one, the the branch that would come from the root of Jesse, the seed that would come from Adam and Eve, that the son of David, uh, who would be the king over Israel, Jesus himself, David knew that he was coming. And on the cross, in the death of Jesus, while his blood poured from his hands and his feet and his side, the price was paid for every sin, from the least to the greatest from the ones that leave little mark to those that leave a deep, gaping wound. Murder, abuse, theft, betrayal, slander, adultery, selfishness, disrespect, short-temperedness, all of them, and many more that you are unaware of, many more than you could ever count, much less could you pay for, or make right, or undo. All of them forgiven. The slate has been wiped clean. The blood of Jesus covered the whole world. He washed us and gave us new birth. He has forgiven the debt put his own righteousness in the balance and created in us new and clean hearts. All sins will be forgiven. All sins. Every last one. Everyone except unbelief. Now it's not that unbelief is too great of a sin. Like a stone too heavy for Jesus to lift or a wound too large for him to heal or too much dirt for him to wash away. Unbelief is not forgiven because unbelief cannot receive forgiveness. The one who does not trust Jesus, who does not hear his voice and follow him, who does not listen to his words and believe his promises, that person cannot receive what those words and promises deliver. It's like if you were hungry. Let's say that you run out of food. So your pantry is empty. And someone, an acquaintance, let's say, promises you that he will bring you some wholesome food. He promises you that he has bags and bags of groceries to fill your cupboards and your refrigerator and your freezer and your cellar. He promises you he's on his way. But let's say that you do not believe him. You don't believe that he'll come, and if he did come, you don't think that he'll have the kind of food you'd like. You don't trust him. You don't think he really has your best interests in mind, and you would never ask him for anything. And so... Instead of waiting for him, you go out and find anything that looks tasty. You come home and stuff your house full of Starburst and Skittles and Doritos and Mountain Dew, candy and junk food and pop. Or worse, like the prodigal son, you gorge yourself on pig feed and dirt and rotten leaves. You didn't believe your acquaintance, and so you stuffed your pantry with whatever you could find, and it is garbage. And so when this fellow shows up with all the groceries, food that can nourish and sustain you, you look at him and you say, no thanks, I have everything I need already. The cupboards are already full. You didn't believe him. And so even though he promised to feed you and has shown up to deliver on his promise, you could not receive his promises. The one who does not trust Jesus, who does not hear his voice and follow him, who does not listen to the words and promises, that person fills his heart with idols. 
the cares, riches, and pleasures of this world, with all of the wonderful things that we see around us that make us feel good and full and satisfied. And so when Christ arrives with the forgiveness, life, and salvation that he has promised, that fellow who doesn't believe him says, no thanks, I have everything I need already. He didn't believe Jesus. He didn't trust him. And so he cannot receive his promises. And that is why there is only one sin on account of which the Holy Spirit is convicting the world, because they did not believe in Jesus. But notice that he also convicts the world concerning righteousness and judgment. Concerning righteousness, he says, because I am going to the Father and you will see me no longer. Now that's a bit confusing, so here's what it means. Jesus went to the Father in glory having died for our sins and having been raised by the glory of the Father, ascending to the Father's right hand in all power and majesty and authority, so that although we no longer see him, his righteousness endures forever. He has conquered sin and death and won the victory over the grave, and his righteousness has been proven to be true and genuine righteousness. It's the righteousness that we have by grace, through faith, because he has buried us with him by baptism into his death. It is a righteousness that does not interest the world. It is the righteousness of Jesus that he credits to us. The world wants its own righteousness. The world wants to be able to say, I'm fine by myself. Thank you very much. But the world does not believe in Jesus. Because it does not believe in Jesus, it perishes in its unrighteousness, failing to obtain the righteousness promised to all the world in the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so, the world is under judgment. Refusing to believe in Jesus, refusing to receive his righteousness, and choosing to remain an earthly kingdom, the world comes under judgment along with its ruler, the devil. The Holy Spirit convicts the world concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes into the world announcing the victory of Jesus over sin, death, and the devil. For those who are in league with the devil... For those who cling to their own righteousness, for those who do not believe in Jesus, the Holy Spirit announces God's judgment. Where there is no forgiveness, sin remains, as does God's wrath against it. To the world, the arrival of the Holy Spirit is unwelcome, for he magnifies guilt and is a terror to the wicked. But to those who believe in Jesus, to those who have been called, gathered, and enlightened, to you, who trust in his words and promises, to you who call on his name, the Holy Spirit is indeed a helper. For he testifies to you, day in and day out, by the words of Holy Scripture and in the sacraments instituted by Jesus, he testifies to you that your sins are forgiven, that the will of your heavenly Father for you in Christ Jesus is life and salvation. The Holy Spirit whom Jesus sends glorifies Jesus, holding his death and resurrection always before our eyes, so that even as our knowledge of sin increases, even as we learn day by day the wrongs that we have done, the people we have hurt, and the damage we have caused, even as our remorse and our sorrow over sin increases as we grow in the knowledge of God's will, as we grow in wisdom and the fear of God, the Holy Spirit reveals to us day by day the immeasurable depth and length and width of God's grace towards us in Christ Jesus. So great is his love for us, and so abundant 
is his mercy, that he can call us to repentance, that he can bring our sins before our eyes, not worried that we'll despair over them, that we'll think them too great or too grievous for him, but confident that drawing near to his throne of grace, we will receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. This certainty is what James was talking about in our epistle lesson. As surely as the sun rises and sets every day, so much more certain is God's word and his promises. For he is the father of lights, the one who set the sun in the sky to govern the day and the moon to govern the night. And even in the sun and the moon, there are variations and shadows due to change. When the sun moves across the sky or changes in the seasons, the shadows change, but the father of lights never changes. The one who created them never changes. Every good gift and perfect gift is from him. Not least of all, his precious word, which is able to save our souls. What is the worst sin? For you Christians, really, that's a nonsense question. Because all of your sins are gone. They've been wiped away. The whole load of them, too great for you to bear, has been borne by Jesus. You are in Christ. And in him is no sin, no guilt, no judgment, no wrath. There is only righteousness and life and light. Live always in the light of Christ and be ever watchful for his coming that you may meet him with joy and enter with him into the marriage feast of the Lamb in his kingdom, which shall have no end. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Amen.